Welcome back to the Gospel for Life. This is Pastor Russ Herman from Cloverdale United Reformed Church. And in the studio today is a little bit different group than we have had in the past. I still have with me Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And then in place of some of our regular co-hosts, we have two special guests with us. First is Alan Burrow from King's Congregation. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. Great to be here. Also, Vinny Hanke from Valley Life Community Church. Hey, Russ, good morning. And so we have been talking about some questions from R.C. Sproul's book, either Reason to Believe or Now That's a Good Question. And R.C. Sproul just put together, they compiled all of these. My guess is that eventually, at one point, they came from Ask Ligonier. And I'm assuming that there was a time when R.C. Sproul was a little bit more involved with the answering of those questions. but I would guess that those are questions that have come in, and actually they're questions that are common to all of us as we, uh, you know, we face those things from uh, people that we engage in the world or even our own children or, you know, family members. You know, these are the kind of questions that come up. Actually, you mentioned Ask Ligonier. Um, Ligonier's website is a very good one. You can actually get on the website and you um, you can ask a question that will be uh, reasonably answered. So if there's a question that you want answered and we haven't done it in the studio, one, you can actually send questions to us, but uh, it might be a matter of time and uh, before we get around to that uh, answer. Um, but I would use Ask Ligonier as a, a good resource. And you actually worked with a gentleman that was part of that. Yeah, Matt Marino was uh, one of our associates, and now he actually is down in Florida working with Ligonier. Uh, He's a pastor there as well. And uh, he's even while he was here, he was part of that Ask Ligonier team. One of the questions from that book was, how can I reason with a friend about the existence of God? And this gets into maybe a, a little bit slightly bigger debate, debate. I'm not sure if we'll end up there or not, but um, there is a debate within reform circles about how to engage in apologetics. I actually do not know the perspective of the guys in the room with me, so this could go, who knows, a whole host of different directions. But the question before us is, how can I reason with a friend about the existence of God? And I think that depends on the friend. Because, uh, you know, your purpose is to be an instrument of God to actually bring him to faith. It's not to uphold a particular philosophy of, of apologetics. And so I think like my grandparents' generation, you know, they did not grow up with the skepticism of the modern postmodernism, which says that there is no truth, that there's no knowable or provable truth. All truth claims and moral claims are just power plays of one person trying to control somebody else. My grandparents didn't grow up in that world. They grew up in a, in a world of believing in objective truth. So for people like that, I, I think it's very appropriate to you know point out creation and you know even as we see Paul doing in Romans, point out the creation, the beauty, and the complexity and everything and. That's what people would call an evidentiary uh, approach, and I think that's perfectly appropriate. If you're dealing with somebody who's like a postmodern who doesn't believe there is any truth, then I think uh, they're not going to accept the basic premise of the creation, that it's knowable or anything else. So there you have to show uh, the presuppositional approach by pointing out, you know, what what are they— 
What are their assumptions right. and, yeah. and how incomplete those are? Right, because everybody makes truth claims and moral claims all the time. You know, even if they say there is no truth. Well, Every propositional statement is a truth claim. Right. If they say there's no truth, well, is that true? Is it true that there's no truth? If they say, well, there's no absolute truth, well, is that absolutely true? That there absolutely is no absolute truth? They can't help but make truth claims, and when they make truth claims, they are impliedly arguing the whole time, you ought to agree with me, and you ought not to disagree with me, which is a moral claim. So they're constantly making truth and moral claims inescapably, and besides that, they look both ways before they cross the road, which means that they believe in an objective reality. So pointing out that they cannot and do not live consistently with their own set of presuppositions is a good way to, to, to get them to step down from the level of arrogance you know, that they're, that they're mm-hmm. living with, and it gives you a starting point. Yeah. Context, 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 I think, is, is what we're, we're talking about. I like uh, Paul's approach. We mentioned it in the last question we talked about, but Paul's speech at Mars Hill right in Acts 17 is he would always approach the synagogue first bring the jewish worldview and proclamation of the Jew, jesus as jewish messiah uh, once that was received or dismissed he would then move on to the gentile crowd and in the gentile crowd in Acts 17 paul knows enough of what the philosophies the epicureans and the stoics believed in order to speak to them about the, the unknown god that they were worshiping just in case and that and that altar that they had set up so i think speaking to your friend um, understanding where they come from. Um, one of the things I like to do is, is ask questions um, so I can learn about the mindset and the understanding of people and what are their reasons for the denial or the wondering or curiosity about God. So context, context, context. Um, maybe you guys want to just talk about the fact that in the book of Acts, you see Paul engaging in a whole variety of ways, um, not just differences between how he engages a Jewish audience and a, and a Gentile audience, but his variations within each of those contexts. Do you guys want to say anything more about that? Yeah, I think he uses a philosophical argument. He uses a biblical argument. He'll even use personal story and testimony. Mm-hmm. In fact, the the whole last third of Acts from 20 to 28 is essentially Paul's testimony three different times mm-hmm. where he talks about who he was before Christ, who he was when he met Christ, and what he's doing after he, he met Christ. And so I think having several bullets in your evangelism gun yeah. is, is appropriate as well. Yeah, he, he'll even say one of your poets said, right? And, yeah. and so he he builds on something, builds on a piece of common ground to address their them. And I think that's the most important thing when you're saying context, context. You 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 figure out where your common ground is with yeah. that individual, and then you can go go from there. Um, you know, there is there, you know we're talking about um, presuppositions, but also the classical arguments uh, for for God. Um, uh, the you know the and even um, you know in some ways uh, you know, when you're talking about creation itself you know whether it's uh, there is no such thing as a self creation out of nothing comes nothing right. and so so you're you're actually talking about something that had to create this and um, you know this is you know these are have been convincing arguments for some, but it only brings them so far. You know, Anthony Flew. Anthony Flew was one of the foremost atheists in the in the world. Many of the people that I grew up with would have studied uh, his textbooks in in college. Uh, he came to a, an a understanding that there had to be a God. He hadn't come to a personal understanding of of the God that 
was and is that sent his son. But it is a step in that direction. Yeah, I think that's where the, the rational arguments will only take us so far. And we ultimately need the supernatural work of the Spirit to raise the spiritually dead to spiritual life. You guys have talked about context. You've talked about this whole idea of helping people see some of the irrational aspects of their own worldviews and their, their thought process, even some of the statements that they're making. Is it, is it too far to say that one of our objectives is to create a ton of doubt in, in the, the listener's mind as we're engaging with them? Well, I think at least to like, particularly if they're very self-sufficient and and, and very self-confident in their uh, worldview, um, you know, in a gentle way, putting some chinks in that armor to you know to to get them to step down off of that high perch that they think they're on. They're not really, but the, that's helpful. But I also think, you know, we've talked about Paul at Mars Hill. He's talking to the Greek philosophers. and um, But he wasn't afraid to, at a certain point, to just set forth, you know, the truth. He just tells them who, who God is, and, you know, he's not the way you conceive him. He's the creator. He's the sovereign God. Uh, and he, he's the God who will bring all things in, into judgment, whether good or bad, and he's not afraid to leave people hanging to a certain extent because in in that message, he, he talks about that God has uh, appointed a day in which he will judge the world by the man whom he has appointed. Uh, and he's given proof to all of this by raising him from the dead. You know, but if you think about it, he never gives Jesus his name. Mm. He never talks about the atonement in there. He just goes straight to judgment. Um and then he just, the end. He wasn't afraid to leave some things just hanging there. Now, of course, he's going to fill in to anybody who's got any interest. He's going to fill in with the gospel, the atonement, virgin birth, all of that. But he also wasn't afraid to kind of attack, the, undermine their foundation, and then just leave it and see what God did with it. Yeah, he really creates a crisis of doubt in terms of their ability to withstand the coming judgment. Right, so I think that's a, a part where it's appropriate to to bring about a person's un, if they're unsure whether they're going to stand forth in the judgment. Now we've got some questions to answer. Now, back when I was a kid, this would have been kind of a go-to in evangelism, um, leading with the question of, "Do you know where you're going to spend eternity?" Um, a lot of or quite a bit of focus on judgment. Still, an appropriate evangelistic technique can it be overused is it underused where are you guys at well it can it can certainly be used in a in a in a cheesy or a chicken fried way that's not really going to be helpful but in terms of really dealing with the fact of of judgment i mean again you see paul definitely using it and um that the 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 fact that God will bring everything into judgment, that is definitely something that... Uh, and this is the work of the Holy Spirit. He's mm -hmm. going to convince the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. That's what we're told when, when the Holy Spirit is uh, coming and active. And so that's an important part of it. Um, you know, you know, fear is not the best motivator. It might be... Uh, it, it is an adequate one. But ultimately, um, it goes back to 
what do people know? Some people don't even, you know, we go, have to go back to that question, is, it, is there a God? And, um, you know, this, this is a story of, of creation. Something can't come from nothing. Um, uh, you know, there is no such thing as, as chance or spontaneous generation or something like that. It didn't come from nothing. Uh, so those are empty theories. And if something exists now, you know, something has always existed. And if, and what would that be? That would be the God of the Bible who's self-existent and eternal. So it goes right back to God. There's a the, that classical argument. And then once you're there, then you can begin to fill in the blanks and get them to understand that not only has he created them, but um, because he's created them, they owe obedience to him. And because of their lack of obedience, there is a judgment to come. And I think you can kind of um, come full circle with that on the idea of judgment because of what Jesus said in John 3, that this is the judgment, the light has come into the world. And so we start seeing that the ultimate criteria of judgment is really what did people do with the light that God gave them? You know, we worry about the person who doesn't know everything, but nobody's going to be judged for what they don't know. It's what they do know, the light they have been given. You know, if you because if you if you run from a, the light of a candle, you can't argue that you would come to the light of a bonfire, and that ultimately is going to be the crux, I think, of judgment. And at the end of the day, I think all of us here would affirm that Romans one will say that everybody has enough light. And at Absolutely. least enough light to hold them accountable. Just from yep. creation. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We will see you next time. 